Welcome back to the Bible Caddy Podcast. I'm William Kane, and I'm joined by my good buddies, Ben Crane and Webb Simpson. And together we're carrying the good news about Jesus to the world of golf. What's up, fellas? Hey, bud. Good to be back. Hey, Willie, Ben. Good to see you, boys. Weber, big week, man. Uh, right in your backyard. We got the President's Cup, assistant captain. You're just all up in the middle of that, buddy. Give us a little window into what's going on. Yeah, so the boys, our boys never did a, an official practice. So today is going to be our, our real official practice as a team with no fans. So no fans today. Um, so we're going to get a lot of good work done. No distractions today. No autographs, that kind of thing. Um, but I know the guys on the team are excited. You know, this is something they've been thinking about, I think, since last year's Ryder Cup. Um, golf course is perfect. So we're all ready to go. Tell us about, um, you said some stuff about team room. You said some stuff about pairings, how you guys are doing that. Give us a little window into that. Yeah, so the team rooms are really cool. At, at the Quail Hollow Range, on one side is the American team. The other side is the international team. And in between is a grandstand that will hold probably a few hundred people. And so guys will walk out of the team room after breakfast, after getting stretched, right onto the driving range, wow. hitting balls 20 feet from the team room. So it's a great scene right there at the range warming up. I'm sure the crowd, there's going to be enough people to start, you know, some good chants. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get, um, you know, get everybody pumped up to play. Um, and, yeah, you know, the pairings, it's still a work in progress. We've had many uh, Zoom, many uh, a night where we've just discussed, hey, these guys play great together. Um, is it better that we just send out a like monster powerhouse team or are they good enough to where we want to separate them um, and actually let them play with somebody else? Then you got two great teams instead of one. So a lot of that's going on. Um, thankfully, these young guys, I mean, I guess I can say young because I'm older now, but the young guys aren't afraid to tell us who they want to play with and when they want to go out. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of see how it shapes out. Um, but what's interesting about President's Cup over Ryder Cup is we get an extra day of golf. So there's more golf. We play 18 Thursday, 18 Friday, 36 Saturday, and singles on Sunday. So there's a lot more golf this week than than um, than Ryder Cup gives us, at least another day of it. So it'll be great. Tell us about, like, you guys use analytics um, to see whose strengths, um, you know, work in, in your favor. They're going to tee off on this hole. They're, we're going to pair them with someone who has a different strength. Give us a little window yep. into into some of that. Yeah, so with with the routing at Quill Hollow this week, every par three is an even hole. And so you don't just throw Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas out there, you know, hey, pick your favorite holes to tee off on. No, we need Justin Thomas, for example, to be hitting as many approach shots as possible. One of the greatest iron players who's ever lived, like his friend. Exactly. Yes, and we know Jordan has made a 20-footer or two in his career. Taps so we need Jordan. Just taps him in. <laughs> yeah, tells Michael to go pick it up out of the hole. <laughs> um, so there's there's so much of that going on that um, I believe the, the, the stats we're seeing from the, from the analytics team is if you tee off on odds or evens, I can't remember what it is, but you're going to have 14 out of 18 birdie putts assuming you hit every green in regulation. And so you don't always pick the best putter, let's say, who's going to have the most birdie putts because you got to remember Quail Hollow, undulating greens, kind of like Augusta, fast. There's a lot of three to five footers that guys are going to have for par. So do you maybe you put your best putter, you know, inside six feet. Um, and so there's a lot of that going on. 
Um, and, you know, strategy matters. You know, Bubba and I at the Ryder Cup a few years ago in France, we screwed it up. The second hole had some water. Long par three, beautiful hole. But Bubba told me early in the week, he goes, I hate this hole. He had played it before in the French Open and said he did not want to play it, so he's going to play odds, which I loved it because I don't have to hit the first tee shot. And two didn't bother me. I'm hitting a hybrid, no big deal. Well, uh, we lose our first match to Rory and Ian Poulter. And um, Jim Furyk comes over to us and says, why did y'all pick odds and evens? Like, why'd y'all go that order? And I looked at him. I felt like I had to confess that uh, my partner Bubba hated the second hole. And that's why we <laughs> picked our order. We're going away from stats. We're just going for feelings <laughs> yeah. right now. So did y'all switch said, it? Did y'all switch it in the said, next round out? Yeah, we switched it. Uh, and we get to the second hole. Bubba's been talking about it all morning, telling everybody how nervous he is. He doesn't want to hit it. And he, sure enough, he hit six iron kind of comes out of it goes in the water so he looks at me and basically says now it's your hole uh and sergio we're playing sergio and alex nor and sergio hits in the water so now norn and i are playing match play against each other from the drop zone so now it's your hole I, my hole now i hit it in the water and i look above and i said no it's actually your hole again <laughs> <laughs> thankfully alex hits his in the water so it's back to sergio and bubba from the drop zone and bubba hits it to about 25, 30 feet. Um, Sergio hits it about 10 feet. Well, I, I'm assuming we lost the hole already, but then I realized, you know what? If I make, they miss, we tie. So I made my 25-footer for triple bogey, and they missed, and we have the hole. It was the greatest have in the history of the Ryder Cup. I'm triple. <laughs> That's but great. We, we won our match. Had we just listened to the, the, the scout team and the, and the holes we should have played, maybe we would have beat Rory like – Maybe, did you beat Rory one one time, Ben? I've had play? a I've had a decent match against Rory at the World Match Play, and uh, we were playing. I think it was third round of the World Match Play, and I'm like, I'm gonna get the brakes beat off me. Uh, he's just kind of coming up. This is probably 2013, um, and uh, I get off to a, a good start, make a couple pots. Was he still wearing that necklace? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's just got this bounce going down the fairway. I'm like, don't watch him walk. He's got the most confident walk in the world. And, uh, you know, he, he's hitting it 50 by me. You know, this kid, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And um, I get off to a good start. He makes a bogey, you know, on the third hole or something. Anyway, I just kept playing well, making 25-footer, you know, after one another. And, and uh, we get to the 11th hole, par five, driving the fairway. He drives it off in the crap. He's kind of looking for his ball. I hit hybrid to 10 feet. He looks over, he goes, I'm good. I was, uh, I was eight up at the time. So, um, or I was seven up at the time. So I went, I beat him eight and seven. So every time I see him since then, I'm like, buddy, do you feel like you've recovered from that, that match, that, that whooping I gave you? I mean, I mean, we really need to, you know, Hey guys, out. I just want to, I want to read the guardian. I, f I just found it. I mean, technology is amazing. Okay. February 24, 2011, Rory McIlroy. It wasn't 2013. World... It was 2011. <laughs> hey, Rory no McIlroy, more importantly, Rory McIlroy out of the world match play after heavy defeat to Ben Crane. Oh, let's go, baby. I hope Rory's going to be okay. Rory, if you're listening, we hope you make it. Look at that on the screen. That's great. That's yeah, great. hang in there, Rory. Things will turn around. Yeah, Rory. poor guy. Poor guy. Yeah, and, and big week for us coming up too. Ben, you and I are headed to Israel. So, so excited to go to Israel with you and a couple friends and really just see the scriptures come alive is what I was what I hear. So um, looking forward to that. 
Um, I have not been baptized as an adult, and uh, I've asked you to baptize me over there, so looking forward to that oh, as well. Oh, that's awesome. Isn't that great? I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. So Definitely video that. We will for sure. Um, and, and it's a great connection to our passage today, too, because the passage today takes place right there on the Sea of Galilee where, where we will get to be this coming week. Mm. And if you're new to the podcast, what we're doing this fall is a little series called Meet Jesus. Bible tells us there's nothing more important in the whole world than that we would know God. But in order for us to get to know him, he's got to reveal himself to us. He's got to show us who he is and what he's like. And thankfully, he's done that through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and the exact imprint of his nature, that he shows us what God is like and what God came to do, what God cares about. And his life is perfectly recorded in Scripture. It shows us just who he is and just what he's done. And good news for us, like we say each week, because he's alive in heaven and is the same yesterday and today and forever, what we see of him in the Bible is what we can expect of him ourselves. So last time we looked at how he called Levi the tax collector, and we saw that Jesus came not for the healthy, he came for the sick. And today we get to jump forward a few chapters in Luke to Luke eight twenty two to 25 to see his encounter both with his disciples and with nature in this story of him calming a storm. So before we jump in, we always want to begin by asking for the Lord's help on our time. We need his help to understand his word. So Ben, will you pray for us? Love to. Uh, Lord God, what a gift it is to gather with my friends. Lord, there's just nothing more important that we're going to do today than open your word, Lord. And we just ask that you would just speak to us um, through your word. And we would just get to know you, as William's saying, through your word, Lord. So uh, open our hearts, um, Lord, and um, help us to understand this text and apply it to our lives uh, in a way that um, changes us, Lord. And um, so we can marvel at who you are and what you've done. In Christ's name, amen. 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 All right, Weber, will you read the passage for us, buddy? Yep, Luke eight twenty-two through 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Thanks, buddy. Okay, so we've, we've jumped ahead in this gospel from chapter 5 to chapter 8. Um, but we don't want to ignore what's been going on. So what, what has happened in between chapter 5, where Jesus called Levi, and chapter 8, where we are tonight? Jesus' fame is growing. He's done um, more miracles. He's raised a widow's son from the dead. And people are, you know, he's gaining um, fame. Right. So he, he's just rocking and rolling with his ministry. He's caring for people. He's teaching. And like you said, his fame is growing. So it became his pattern to, to get away from time to time. And that's where this story essentially picks up. How, how does verse 22 start? One day, One day he got, got into, a boat. into a boat. Okay. And he says to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. So <laughs> love y'all reading at the same time. Jinx. Um, so these guys are on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And for some reason, uh, unmentioned here, but we'll find out next week, Jesus suggests that he and his disciples head over to the northeastern shore, over into Gentile territory. And at the end of the verse, 
uh, verse 22, it says, so they set out, right? And as you'd imagine, by this time, when Jesus speaks, his boys listen, as we all should. And as they set out in likely what was one of their old fishing boats, 30 feet long or so, six to eight feet wide, what did Jesus do? He took a nap. Yeah, he fell asleep. Um, And this is a small little statement, but it's worth noting. Um, Even this, what does this teach us about Jesus? He is a man. It reveals, yeah, it reveals his human side. I mean, he was tired, just like we get tired after work or ministry. Yes. And so I think it's sometimes easy, especially when you're new to your Bible, to think that Jesus is like altogether different from us. To think that he's walking around with a halo over his head and just kind of floating through Israel doing what he does. But the Bible portrays him, even though he is fully God, it clearly articulates that he's fully man. He gets tired. He gets hungry. He gets weary, right? So here's here's Jesus. He's been working hard. He's on his boat with his buddies, and he falls asleep. And as he falls asleep, what happens next? The windstorm came down on the lake, and the boat was getting just filling with water, and it seemed like they were in a lot of danger. Okay. So I did a little research yesterday. Um, apparently on the Sea of Galilee, where we will actually have been, Ben, when this episode comes out, because the sea is 650 feet below sea level, it's got this warm, moist air. And on the east side of the lake, there are mountains that are over 2,000 feet. So there's cold, dry air. And this can create crazy temperature and pressure changes, which lead to these epic storms, which can happen with hardly any warning. And this seemed to be one of those epic storms. As this storm raged on this night, um, we're told what Webb said, the boat starts filling with water. So the disciples are in danger. Um, okay, before we move on too quickly, I just want to read this imaginatively. So question for you guys, any of y'all ever been in a situation with nature where you just feared for your life? What was that like? Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember at a, at a golf tournament in amateur golf, we were on the, the Niagara River. And the further you get up towards the falls, the bigger these whirlpools get. And they say, like, do not get near them because the whirlpools can literally take the boat and start spinning it and sucking it under. And we had gone too far, and the boat captain's turning around, and the, the, the front of the boat started dipping down, and we started falling. And we all grabbed a railing, grabbed each other, um, and the guy hit the gas, and we were all okay, but it could have been, been devastating. So while that's happening, what's going on in your mind and heart? Like, what are well, you thinking? Well, there, there was kids on the boat. I'm thinking somebody's going to fall off, and we might not ever see them again. I mean, we were, we were all so scared after the fact. No one said a word for the next 20 minutes. I mean, we were scared for our life. Man. Okay, so that, that's the stuff that these guys are feeling. That, that's what these guys are going through. And remember, half of these guys are fishermen. They've been on this lake before. They'd grown up on this lake. They've been in storms on this lake before. So for them to panic, we're talking something way out of the ordinary that they're facing. We're talking right. a huge storm. But they do panic. And what does verse 24 say? What do they, how do they respond? They woke him up. Master, master, we are perishing. Okay, so they, they rushed to wake Jesus up, which is good. What's good about that? They're going to the right guy. They're going to the right guy. Go to the source. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. When they're in a pinch, they're looking to Jesus, not themselves. That's good. But, but there's something wrong with what they say. What do they say? We're perishing. We're dying. Totally. 
Exactly. And, and it's interesting how Mark records it. In Mark's gospel, it's even more dramatic. It says, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? <laughs> what, what's the idea with that? Basically, how could you sleep when we're all here trying to save our own lives? Do you not care about us? Yes, exactly. These guys are not looking at the guy in the boat with them. They're looking at their circumstances, and they're completely alarmed by their circumstances, and understandably so. But instead of asking Jesus to do something about about it and believing that he can, they alert him to their problem at best, and at worst, they question whether or not he even cares about them and what they're going through. At best, they're worrying in his direction, and at worst, they're questioning his very heart for them. They're accusing him of not caring. Mm-hmm. And, and sadly, I mean, it's all too relatable. I know I've been here before, but Jesus is patient. So what does he do next? Middle part of verse 24. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, okay. and they ceased. <laughs> I mean, guys, when you read the Bible, slow down, and let's look at it and think about it. This is crazy. So these guys come and wake Jesus up. And the first thing he does is he he listens. He got up. And then he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. What's a rebuke? A stern, you know, stop. Yeah. If If you're a parent, you know what this is like. You tell your kids, stop it, right? Enough. It's a stern command. But, I mean, this is just crazy. Who does Jesus rebuke? (laughs) Right. Nature. He rebukes nature, the wind and the waves. I mean, just picture Jesus waking up, standing up on the boat, looking around at the sea, wind blowing through his hair, observing the storm, and then speaking not to his disciples, but to the weather. And Mark's account tells us what he says. He just said, peace. Mm. Be still. He, he's saying to nature, chill, I mean, chill out, stop. Go ahead, Webb. I think this is fitting to say, just for the young listeners, I mean, the term goat is thrown around. I mean, Serena's the goat, LeBron's the goat, Tiger's Le- the goat. We know LeBron's not the goat. Right. right. MJ's <laughs> the goat. Right. But here's the deal this is the goat. This is the greatest of all time. Who, by the way, he created the goat from, from creation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so only the greatest of all time could tell the wind to stop, and it stops, right? 100%, right? It's just as, <laughs> as crazy as the rebuke is, right? As crazy as it is, it seems like insanity is the response of nature, right? Nature obeys, and the wind and waves ceased, and there was a calm. Uh, and again, Mark's gospel has a great storm and then a great calm. He wants you to compare them, right? As great as the storm was, that's how great the calm was. A hush mm. you know came when the water overland. just like goes to glass. It's not even mm. rippled by the by the by the wind. You know, uh, yeah, as a sailor, you know, I'm growing up sailing a little bit. You you teach people to watch the water and you can see a wind gust coming from a ways away but i just pictured like just glass like the type of water that you want to water ski on you know just early in the morning yes that's it yes so as big as the storm is jesus says peace be still nature obeys it listens and you got that glass nature perfectly obeys it had heard his voice before right 
And so now comes time, not for the rebuke of nature, but for the rebuke of the disciples. Mm. So what does Jesus say to them in verse 25? Where is, Where your, is your faith? Where is your faith? What's the idea? You guys don't trust me? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm in the boat with you. That's right. Yes. And it's as, as if he's saying, the problem is not my character or my willingness. The problem is not that I don't care. The problem is not that I am not able. You've seen it with the leper. You've seen it with the paralytic. You've seen it with healing after healing. The problem is that you guys don't, who get, don't get who you're dealing with yet. The problem is that you don't trust me and you don't believe me. And as these boys now receive this loving rebuke from the Lord, how do they react? There's two specific feelings. So before they speak, how do they feel? They were afraid and they marveled. Mm. Side by side. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good lesson how we should reverence God. Yeah, 100%. There's a, there's a little line in one of the Narnia books. I think it's in... Mm. Uh, I know where you're going. It's either in uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when Aslan comes back or it's somewhere in Pr- Prince Caspian. But they see Aslan do Aslan stuff. Aslan, if you've never read those books, images Jesus. And it says something like, they were as glad as anyone could be who was so afraid, and they were afraid as anyone could be who was so glad. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the picture of these guys. It's like, yeah, they are, is he safe? Yeah. He, and the answer is no, he's not safe, but he's good. But he's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they're fearful and astonished simultaneously. They're trembling and in awe and scared and amazed. And then what do they say to one another? And this is, this is the point of the passage right here. Who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Yeah. And so what, what's the idea? What are they saying? They're saying, I mean, I, I'm inserting myself as one of, the, one of the boys in the boat that I'm feeling like, I mean, this guy, we've seen what we've seen, what you just named, William. He's healed people. Um, he, you know, got tons of fish for Peter in the boat. And now creation's obeying his voice. Like he must be more than just a rabbi. He must be God. Yes. Okay. And, and I think that's exactly where this passage wants to take us. You remember in the same way that when he forgave the sins of the paralytic, it was this passive claim to God. He's mm-hmm. saying only God can forgive sins. I know that. That's why I'm doing that. Sins are ultimately mm-hmm. against me. This also is a passive claim to who he is. He's, he's not telling them but he is certainly showing them. And if they were paying attention, they would have recognized it. And we know this because of what the Old Testament teaches us. So one of you boys flip over to Psalm 107. Okay, what verse? 23 to 31. Okay, 23 to 31. Here we go. Psalm 107. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Okay. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Okay, so in that psalm, written many hundred years before Jesus came, who alone can calm the seas? 
God alone. God alone. So Jesus knew his boys would have familiarity with this psalm. And by calming the storm like that, by bringing a hush, and then by bringing them to their desired haven, he is showing, I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. I am the one who made these seas, and I am the one who calms them even still. So right. by, by doing this miracle in this way, Jesus is showing us and his disciples that he's God. He's none other than God in flesh. That's right. And, and that's, that's their question, right? Who then is this? And he's answering it with his actions. I'll show you who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so as we do with, with each episode, the point of doing this is to ask, all right, if Jesus reveals what God is like, Mm-hmm. What, what does this pass, passage teach us about him? What does it show us about God? What would you say? Mm. He's in control, even of the weather, of nature. Yeah, like, it makes me think that whatever life circumstances we're in, whatever life circumstances you're in, the point is not the circumstance. The point is who we are and and whose we are right and the point is jesus was in their boat well guess what jesus has come to dwell in our hearts and so that's that's the that's what's way more infinitely more important than what's surrounding us you know the storms we're in whatever it might be yes well said both y'all it certainly shows us he's powerful nothing's too hard for him he's completely in control and, and when he does allow storms in our lives, he does it so that we can experience him more and know him better. They have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think we get really helped here when we ask how we relate to the disciples in the story. Because there's, there's some, even though we're not going to be in a boat with Jesus, like you said, we're going to go through certain circumstances that are challenging, but they have a purpose. So how, how might you relate to the guys in the boat? When storms in my life come, I think it's going to last a long time or forever, or I'm not going to get through it. And my first reaction is not to trust God. Hmm. My first reaction Mm -hmm. is to how can I fix this right now and make this go away so that I don't have to go through this. Mm -hmm. Totally. Or even to question him that you're in that position in the first place. I know I'm guilty of that. Yeah. God, if you're good, why is this storm in my life? Right. I also see myself. Go ahead. Well, no, go ahead, Willie. I was going to say, I also see myself in them. Even when they wake him up, they're just kind of worrying in his direction. Master, yeah. we're perishing. You know, woe is me. <laughs> and I, I think I sadly have to admit, like a lot of my prayers sound like that. Like, mm. Lord, just don't you see it? You know, rather than being attentive to who he is and what he might want to do in and through whatever circumstances I'm in. And then asking for his real present help. That's right. And that's where, I mean, you mentioned the Psalms. I love reading through the Psalms, and I think the Psalms, not all of them follow this method, but there's a great blueprint in the Psalms of what prayer life should look like. And what I love is it's kind of three-part, as I see it. One, there's an acknowledgement in the beginning of maybe David's prayer that who God is. Like, you are good. You know, he might list a few attributes, and he's reminding himself of this as he's saying it. And then it's not some fluff Christianese that he speaks. He speaks to God as his father. He tells him how he feels while having this utmost reverence for God. He doesn't say, God, like, you aren't good. He says, you have left me, you know, alone, and I feel like I've been abandoned, right? And then he always ends it with more adoration and praise. And so I think the way we approach God is so important, right? And so if these disciples had approached him, you know, in a little different way of, hey, 
we feel like we're perishing, but we got you here with us. Can you help us? I feel like that response would uh, have been very different in revealing their hearts than what they said. For sure. And it, I think nature still would have gotten rebuked, but maybe they would not have if they had approached it that <laughs> yeah, way. That's right. Um, okay, so going through storms in our lives, whether they're literal or figurative, it's, it's hard. And we don't want to make light of that for what anybody that might be listening to this might be going through. Um, but for the Christian, God promises in his word to use all of them for our good. Mm-hmm. So here's a question for you. After this encounter, do you think the disciples wanted to trade this experience? Yes or no? No. Why not? God took him through the storm, and then God did the work of calming the storm. And in that, they got to marvel and see who God is, which is the greatest gift we can have. That's right. And it, it listen, it prepared them for the next trial they're going to go through because instead of the next trial— where they might have gone to each other or they might have, you know, kind of demanded Jesus to do something. They're going to look back on this experience and realize, okay, he's in control. He is good. He loves me. And so like trials, they strengthen our faith. They prepare us mm. right for, for the next time we're going to go through a trial. Yes. And there's, and there... I, I, I might add, I got to add one thing. I always think of CJ Mahaney, our good friend. Um, and he said this one time preaching through the book of Job, he said, um, Christians must be prepared to suffer uh, because suffering is coming. Suffering is promised. We're going to have trials in our life. And he says the only thing worse than suffering is wasted suffering. And if the Christian is not prepared to suffer well, then he's going to waste his suffering. Mm. And so suffering's coming to all of us at some level in some form. So, um, yeah, just let us take that warning and just not waste it, right? Yes. And, and here's a huge assurance that we have in the word is God, no matter what he's doing, and, and we don't know all that he's doing all the time. We're not promised that at all. But we do know he's always up to two things. One, he's using our circumstances so that we would know him better. And he is using our circumstances so that he would make us more like him, so that he mm-hmm. would conform us more and more into the image of his son. Mm-hmm. And when that book starts to become the win for us, when we actually start to see that knowing God is what we want and need most, that even the difficult things in our life, as painful as they are, they can start to work for us, not against us. Now, I, mm-hmm. I don't think these boys wanted to go back to that day, but they didn't want to trade it because God had given them a gift of knowing him. And then of that's a great way to say it. them becoming more like him, you know, by trusting him. Um, okay. Maybe a quick example from one of you guys. I mean, somebody probably thinks, gosh, these guys have, done really well in golf and they've made a lot of money and they've got a lot of wins. What suffering could they ever go through? Have you ever been through a storm that was tough that you think, you know, the Lord really used this for me? For me, you know, um, I broke, um, stress fracture in my, in my low back, wondered if I would ever really play competitive golf again. Didn't know. Um, I just kept going to doctors, not being able to figure it out. Kept praying, God, like fix this, show me where the pain's coming from because we didn't find the broken bone for quite a while. We kept looking at the disc and all that. And in that, um, just the Lord in his kindness um, brought me closer to him and showed me that I actually didn't need golf. I needed him. I needed more mm-hmm. of him. Mm-hmm. And started to experience that peace that surpasses understanding that only he can give us when I looked to him because I was so often looking to golf for my joy, my satisfaction, my worth in life. And mm. 
God giving me more of himself was the kindest, most beautiful, wonderful thing I can ever experience. And yeah. I'm so grateful that I've had this long season away from golf um, because of mm. his kindness, because of his goodness, because of his grace. And I never would have asked for it. Mm. Mm. Well said. That's good, buddy. Mm-hmm. Well, um, this passage helps us. Suffering is not pleasant. Storms are not easy, but they can work for us when we got Jesus with us. And so that's right. We want our eyes to be fixed on Him, um, mm-hmm. and we want to know that not only can He do something about what we're going through, but He wants to. He cares. Um, that's right. First Peter is it? First Peter that tells us to cast our burdens on Him because He cares for us. Exactly. First Peter five seven. Mm. All right, Weber. Last word to you. You got anything to wrap us up with? Oh man. I mean, when Ben was speaking, it reminded me of uh, just furthering what y'all are saying. I lost my dad to Louis Body Dimension in 2017. And yes, it was an awful time. And I hated it. We just loved him so much. But as Christians, we were able to just reflect during that time on the goodness of God and giving us our dad. And it brought all of us siblings, I'm one of six, all of us closer together, closer to my mom. Um, and it really was. It was a true trial. It was, he was suffering. But God showed up, and God was so good through it. Um, yeah, God, we pray for healing. God chose not to heal my dad. Um, as Devo says, he actually did heal him because he brought him home where he belongs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I just encourage the listeners, whatever you're going through, look to Jesus um, for strength, for comfort, for help, uh, because I promise you that he knows what you're going through. He was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Yeah, and I know I told you last word, but there's something that um, Tim Keller has said. I'm going to paraphrase him, and it's just a probably a helpful place to land. He says, we might not always know why God allows what we go through to happen, um, but here's what we can't say. Because of the cross, we cannot say that God doesn't care. Mm. And, and the logic goes this way, that if, if God would send his own son to come to earth to suffer more than any of us have, have ever suffered— to mm-hmm. become for us the the payment for our own sins, right? To mm-hmm. endure God's judgment that we deserve and to do it because he loves us. Mm-hmm. We might not know all he's doing in our circumstances, but we know for sure he cares. That's he, right. He has solved our biggest problem, and it's a guarantee that one day he will solve every other problem that we have if we'll trust him. That's right. So the encouragement, I think, as we land is let's trust him. You know, mm. if, if, yes. if you believe in him, he's in the boat with you. Well, thanks for listening to the Bible Caddy podcast. If you have questions about Jesus, email us at biblecaddy at gmail.com. We will be back next week, continuing in Luke 8. And until then, let's get into the Bible and let the Bible get into us. Ooh.